You are on Line of Sight, a War Machine and Hordes podcast for new and experienced players, hosted on the Line of Sight Podcast Network. Line of Sight is proud to host War Machine University, Brawl Machine, and Fallen Corvus, as well as numerous content creators like Field of Fire, Lightbringers, Brawler Bios, Vicarious Competition, Midnight Monpod, and Charge and Spike. You can find our content at loswarmachine.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 226 of Line of Sight. That sounds right. Yep. Uh, my name's Chandler. <laughs> Jaden's here. Sure am. That's great. So's Brett. Yeah, we're just going to say numbers. Sure. Cool. I like it. Uh, 243. That seems like a good one. I'm confused. <laughs> Why are we just saying numbers? Well, I don't know. We're just guessing what, what episode we're on at this point. Oh, okay. That's fair. Just putting buttons. Uh, hello, everybody. We are here. All three of us. Wonderful. Well done. And uh, I think that's a successful week already. Um, <laughs> is there news? Uh, we've seen some kind of continual little spoilers and stuff for the new Signar and Cato stuff that's floating around. Um, still kind of maintaining that very sci-fi aesthetic. There's the new Warjack, the Striker, uh, yep. that they showed off, which is a lot of fun. Some cool art for that. Check There's also out. a new they Warcaster, were... I believe. Yes, yeah, yeah. They've got some stuff up on an insider about that that you, that you can go take a look at on uh, the Private Press website. Easy enough, and uh, yeah, get caught up on all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. But that's not what we're talking about today. No. What are we talking about today, Jaden? So uh, today is our monthly patron pick, and what they have voted for in the very short poll that they got this month uh, is that we're going to talk about like the history of positive things that private press has done for miniature gaming nice yeah Seems should be interesting good yeah so i guess where do we want to start with that i guess chronologically <laughs> yeah i mean that makes the most sense kind of yeah yeah, I think Privateer has had a lot of kind of interesting innovations. And something that, like, I I didn't jump into the game until it had been out for a fair while. I came in around uh, when Convergence was in the midst of releasing. Mm -hmm. And um, they had definitely been around for a pretty long time, so a lot of their kind of early stuff uh, had already happened. But I've pieced together some things that were really interesting. And what's kind of interesting is some of it I actually kind of worked out by playing other games. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um well, and a lot of early War Machine was a direct reaction to other games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, especially like uh, as I started getting into to stuff like Games Workshop stuff, um, I started getting uh, eyes on some of their older stuff, older models and whatnot. And when you look at kind of the timeline of around when Privateer Press like and, and War Machine kicked off, uh, Something kind of interesting you'll see is uh, kind of where the quality of miniatures in miniature gaming was in general. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it becomes very obvious why it is that uh, that War Machine kicked off so well. Because one thing that, that I, I think they did in a lot of respects was like at Games Workshop had been kind of doing its thing with very little competition for a very long time. And you had Private Your Press come in with stuff that at the time was actually like 
really nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the Mark I Warjacks and the Mark I Warcasters and stuff, like those old sculpts, were actually just miles better than the things that GW was doing at the time. Like, if you look at Swooping Hawks, which is an Eldar unit that they still haven't updated, they are real, real small and real, real bad from, like, yeah. a model perspective. And I can't. And anything from that, like... It, it's not even that far you go back 12 14 years mm -hmm. uh even you you get some models out of like gw and a lot of the companies around then that are are just terrible <laughs> they're really bad they're really unpleasant to look at and yeah. i also think prep to press had an extremely different aesthetic yeah yeah oh, and yeah. a coherent well, one yeah. actually let's <laughs> let's not forget about that they had a very coherent look that like games workshop was getting away with basically whatever they wanted to infinity barely kind of existed when private press came out it didn't even exist i'm pretty sure I don't um, think so. and yeah. so you know you look at it and you're like okay so on one hand we've got games workshop which has these like really really nonsensically connected styles and then private press comes in it's like bam this is the way this world looks right which is a thing that nobody else had really done yet so i don't know i yeah, think yeah. like saying look it's important to have your model line have a distinct look that's going to stay together was actually an innovation at the time and they did yeah. it really well. Yeah. Because it came from, you know, the RPG art background mm -hmm. and then turned to a model line later. Well, and you can really see like Matt Wilson probably had a really like strong presence in those early, like creative, this is what it's going to look like kind of conversations and decision-making processes um and that probably had a huge deal like i had a huge part of why it was so coherent and so like visually pro i don't i don't even know what i'm trying to say is is visually cohesive i guess is is what i'm trying to get at and that you know you can see that from his art background and if you look at the things that he did for early war machine like the one that i always point people to is the centurion uh portrait it's just absolutely beautiful and there are there are so many things about that, and it was probably done early in Mark in War Machine's development, Mark One. Um, there are things about that art that just set War Machine apart on its own thing, and said, "Look, this is this is what this game and this world looks like, and there's nothing else in the world like it." Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they they did a good job actually, kind of creating in a, in a sense sort of a competition that that had to be answered right which on its own kind of pushes things forward yeah um well yeah, and in a, yeah. in a similar vein um the storytelling was super different mm -hmm. um yeah. very military history very focused on heroes and most importantly things happened people died <laughs> well not people didn't die everything else happened yeah yeah but like the plot moved forward this was a time in 40k where they they because they were Warhammer 40k, they didn't want to go into um, the 42nd millennium. And mm -hmm. so I swear to God, there were, I think there were two Tyranid invasions, one major chaos crusade, the Tau were coming back, like everything was happening in M41 999. Like it was the worst year of all time. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, and, well, and it, go ahead. 
they've often they've often like GW has often had kind of a problem of like not allowing their narrative to move. They make a lot mm -hmm. of big events happen that reset the status quo over and over again, like just yes. put us back to where we were kind of again mm -hmm. and again and again. Mm -hmm. and in fact, it's like thematically, the world is kind of about like being really stagnant and not progressing in an odd kind of way. And that yeah. turns out from a storytelling perspective, that's uh, not super compelling sometimes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so yeah, and it, it, we, had, we had these it was also very like character centered, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Which is especially with the way that warcasters work, you always have like that's one of the things in in you know a lot of other games. You don't necessarily have to bring you know, your characters. You can have pretty generic armies, but in War Machine, you are always playing a important, cool character. At yes. least one. You have to be someone that you can identify with, someone who you know the backstory of. Yeah. And I think it's really hard to overstate how much this probably influenced the games that came after them. Like, look at um, Infinity. They have loss of Lieutenant, which changes the way that you play a lot. And your Lieutenant's not necessarily a character, although it can be. Um, and then if you look at Malifaux, like... Um, Basically every model's a character. Yeah, but you have, like, a leader, right? And they have powerful Le abilities that do stuff and consume your resources to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, just aesthetically, going back to this real fast, Infinity and Malifaux both said oh look private press just did this thing their stuff all looks really cohesive we have to have a theme and if you yep. look through their model lines they're extraordinarily cohesive and i can't help but wonder if private press had a serious influence like on the design choices there right infinity was like you know what we are gundam anime mechs and that's well, us i mean it's it's either direct influence or conversion evolution right if if the mm -hmm. only game in town is 40k and you're going to compete with it you have to do something different. In this case, right. the way to be better than them was to have models that looked good <laughs> and look good together. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think that's just really so interesting. So much shit from all the like hyper nostalgic, like, no, the old models were the good ones, people. Have you seen a second edition Chaos Dreadnought? Yeah. It's, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed I out loud the first time I saw it. One of my favorite hobbies is finding old versions of models and showing them to people because it's so like, look at this thing. <laughs> look how gross this is. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I have a very like, I have no nostalgia goggles for any of that stuff whatsoever. <laughs> um, yeah. I think another thing, and this is kind of beyond specifically like, miniatures as well is they, they had some and i've heard these comments kind of recently actually that they they had some really interesting innovations that um i don't know that some other companies have even really matched yet one that i've had people mention to me repeatedly is the infernals mm. so infernals being this very very active very fluid way to get uh rules clarifications oh, oh. i thought you meant sorry no not the <laughs> action the <laughs> i know it's yeah, these these days you can't just say that anymore. Nope. Uh, I I think one of the coolest things about War Machine is press gangers. Yeah, the unit. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. uh, but the infernal system for for rules clarifications yes. on the forums mm -hmm. um, and and just having a like words have meaning. It's not ivory tower design. It's not you know figure it out with your friends and have fun. It's yeah yeah. Well, and I'm kind of curious. I, I'm reasonably confident this is probably accurate but matt wilson came from magic the gathering right 
that was the first well he he was an artist he was an artist but you like that culture probably and a lot of the people that he brought in to work on war machine were also wizards Mm -hmm. of the coast employees and you have to think like magic is effectively turing complete right brett like it is it is turing complete okay so it is the most like technically correct game in the world probably like as far as like words matter uh, rules matter, timing things matter, and I can't help but feel like some of that probably migrated over to War Machine with it. And oh, it's well, the, you, you can tell for sure because uh, every game I play now has a timing diagram. Yeah, every single one. Okay. Yeah, and that like, that was Marvel. A, yeah, you're right. Marvel. Actually. Yeah, MCP, a completely or a game designed not to be competitive, has a timing diagram because rules mean something even when you're just throwing dice. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one thing to bring up as well is, yeah, uh, highly like specific terminology and breakdowns for how things work. It is worth noting that that didn't immediately happen because Mark one was no. also a bit of a disaster. But oh, yeah, yeah no, my... we only played Mark two, though. Yeah. Yes. But everything I hear about Mark one, it sounds like a really fun thing to hear about. Usually <laughs> <laughs> like kind of how I, I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. I what think it's more that Mark one got out of control. Mm. yeah like all the almost all the stories we hear about came out in apotheosis yeah yeah that's fair kind of laid in so actually here's another interesting thing and we can come back to the infernals and the rules in just a second but war machine is maybe the only miniatures game that has multiple versions well that's not true anymore marvel crisis or no. <clears throat> marvel crisis protocol definitely has some but it was yeah, the Malfoy first just, malfoy yeah. just did it with everyone <laughs> yeah malfoy just did it with everyone but it was the first miniatures game to say hey you know what this is the same character at a different point in their story and we're changing yep. them appropriately. Cause like, if you look at, again, we're going to go back to James games workshop a lot, but you know, Abaddon is still just Abaddon. He's who Some, he's been. Sometimes he's a dragon. Sometimes he has a horse. Yep. No, that's a, that's Archeon. Yeah. Are you kidding me? It <laughs> <laughs> was well, a totally different game. <laughs> yeah, that too. They're a different character. Although they have very similar roles in the story, actually. Yeah, I thought they were the same but, person. But no, they're not the same person. Um, Oops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, like, their characters don't get new model releases. Um, well, they get new model releases, but it's the same. It's the same story, guy. The yeah, same yeah. person. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I think that's a really fascinating thing that, and an innovation that we've seen in, you know, certainly Malifaux, certainly Marvel Crisis Protocol. Um, and, Infinity, and this, did it, Infinity did a really early version of it where there was a character in the Chinese faction who wasn't super popular, and mm-hmm. so she died, and she became part of the alien faction. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am trying to remember her name, but yes. Yeah, I, I was like, I was really close to buying her when I was picking infinity yeah up. our model's great yeah it's fantastic um whenever i tell the story about how i get into infinity she's the one who drops in breaks into a building and kills the sniper on top yeah that's her thing yeah she's like a yep. yep she's dope yeah so that was that was also an interesting thing that they did right like what a cool idea to take your characters and just advance them further in the story and i think I don't know if this would be like a good thing for Games Workshop to try, but can you imagine how sick it would be to have like Magnus 2? Oh, yeah. No, I've thought that for a while. Well, or like, um, yeah, advancing parts of the storyline without advancing the entire storyline, right? Because like the Tau Empire changed drastically from book to book, but Mm -hmm. like everything changed about it. Like lots of things no longer made sense. 
there it wasn't like a new like the character got better it was just like all those characters are dead here's new ones <laughs> <laughs> yeah. nice yeah so i think that was that was definitely a thing um right about mid mark two we also got like one of the most serious innovations that privateer press ever made in war room um which yeah war, war room gets a lot of shit it does there was definitely there was definitely a time where at least as far as actually just kind of using it uh what a nice system i miss it sometimes when i when i'm playing around with other stuff because well there was a time where it had no competition it was by far yeah, the that's best kind of what i mean is yeah there's yeah. nothing right and there's definitely some things uh like you know there's definitely companies that have, have figured out better ways to do it now but mm-hmm. for a very long time it was like anytime you tried to mess around with another game figuring out any kind of like army building app system was just an absolute nightmare they were always just absolutely nonsensical what's that what's that terrible oh, what's it called are you thinking about Battlescribe? Because I am thinking about Battlescribe. I have a very love hate relationship with Battlescribe. I like yep. that it works. I hate that it's what it is. <laughs> it's it's the vassal, right? Yeah, it is. Kind yeah, it of is the vassal, vassal of mm-hmm. army builders. That is a very good description. Yeah. Actually, it's like it's like what if your army builder had like an extreme learning curve? <laughs> like, uh, I kind of would prefer it didn't but you know you know you do you (laughs) what if you didn't have a choice and it just does it's like well all right yeah yeah but i think it's really hard to overstate how revolutionary war room was at the time and how forward thinking it was because there were like other kickstarted board games that were trying like companion apps out at the beginning of the the mobile craze right and they all sucked for the most part and then War Room came along, and yes, it was clunky, and it took forever to load, and for some reason it used a lot more battery than it needed to. But Over-engineered is the word you're looking for. Yes, it was over-engineered. But it also did everything pretty acceptably well, right? Like, cards were great. War Room was okay. Oh. was, like, about as good wait, as wait, cards. Wait. Sorry, go ahead. We need, we need to talk about cards when we're done talking about War Room. Okay, you're right. Um, yeah. But, like, War Room was good. It it let you build your lists. It lets you like track your things, let you keep track of your damage. If you had any kind of tablet, it was pretty, pretty quick. Um, and it had a searchable PDF of the rule book in it, which got updated, which was nuts. Nothing else had, well, I mean, nothing else even had like build a list. Um, this had so much more functionality and you better believe that every other game company looked at Worm and went crap. We've got to find out how to, answer this because if we don't we're dead and it took years for some decades yeah, it took i mean war room 2 was out before most of the competitors had anything and war room 2 aside from the not having a pdf um is just a better version of war room 1 right mm-hmm. so well, think, it has has a pdf it's just uh, no it doesn't we don't speak <laughs> of it oh no you yeah. know what you know what it does have a pdf you're right. War Room 1 had something better. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, do you remember when War Room had a really good rules reference system yeah. that was actually like pretty functional? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you just uh, type in a rule and it would a, pull up like a typed out thing. Now you thing get for a PDF you. that takes you to an absolutely random page and runs like garbage on mobile for some reason. See, I'm lucky. My war room always takes me to one page ahead of the rule that I want, so I just have to scroll up one. Oh wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, I, we should 
because I want to talk about cards. Yeah, I was gonna say cards. That's yeah. a big one, actually. It's actually honestly, it's one I have I kind of like took for granted so much I didn't even mm-hmm. think about it until mm-hmm. yeah, you mentioned it. I was like, oh right. Well, especially uh, since it's kind of going away, right? Yeah, to an extent. Um, but every every other game that I play, like Jaden does the same thing. I know. Is, we try to figure out ways to make War Machine cards <laughs> for to have stats in like really convenient card form right in front of you. Well, even it's more than that, so nice. like yes, they're incredible like that. But having the card with the model was an yep. innovation that mm-hmm. like changed everything about the way that rules accessibility should be. Right, and yes, it was a direct answer to Games Workshops and their Codex system. Right, and it's. It was so much more user consumer friendly. By it's, it's ridiculously impossible to overstate how huge just having like the idea of here's your model. It has all the rules, not just this yeah. cruddy little like reference packet that GW checks in with theirs, but it has all the rules. That was so huge. Yeah, and like the and it it felt like they were your friend, like. We want you to play our game. We're going to make it easy for you. We're not going to make you pay, you know, 50 bucks and then 50 bucks and 50 bucks and then 50 bucks until you until you're, you know, you know, um, Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and like, I, I, I think now it, we're in kind of a spot where cards are starting to feel a little bit like out of date in some respects especially Mm -hmm. like you want to be able to have that at the time that those cards came out you didn't really have easy ways to update your rules right everything was in print form Mm -hmm. um these days everything's switching to digital makes it a little more complicated so i understand like cards are a little more difficult that's where stuff like war room is is very uh important (laughs) yeah um because they're able to to um uh, kind of adjust more easily with that kind of a thing, mm-hmm. but for the time, uh, it was a really huge innovation that, that yep. nobody was doing. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely a good one to call out because yeah, yeah, and it and definitely like Malifaux flat out copied it, right? No, they, no? they messed it up. I was just oh. about to bring this up. Okay, cool. Um, so cleverly. Um, the uh, War Machine made sure that the cards were standard size. So they fit magic sleeves, so you put them in the clear sleeves that everyone has a thousand of. Mm-hmm. The Malfo ones are double wide and they fold. Oh, that's right. Or at least the Mark One. Yeah, the Mark Ones were. did. The Mark Two ones were fine, I believe. Yeah, and then the Mark Three ones are tarot sized, which is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Great. No. <laughs> yeah. <Why? laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that was that was some magic bias showing through, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. it's it's kind of fair though, because like magic size is just playing card size, right? Yeah, yep. I mean, just using the the size that cards are easily sleeved for is a big deal, right? Yeah, because at the time, like we didn't have fantasy flight games providing everybody in the world with sleeves of in unlimited size differentiation. Yeah, it was oh, you very like hard. Cards? <laughs> Yeah, it was really hard to find alternative sleeves. Like, you had to custom order them, and it was not exactly obvious how that was to be done, because while 2012-ish was, like, very much the internet age already, it was not a well-organized internet age, and nobody knew where... Like, things that we take for granted didn't really exist in the same capacity. Like, Amazon was around, but 
it wasn't nearly as ubiquitous. You couldn't buy everything you can buy on it now. Like a lot of the time, if you wanted something, you kind of just had to go to eBay and hope you could get a an auction for kind of cheap or you had to like call a store because they didn't post a lot of their like stuff online. Like they, their, their uh, inventories weren't like things that they posted on the internet. They'd just be like, call us if you're curious about like all, all of the things were just like, please call this number if you want to. Because, like, at the time, we were working with barely, th- it was 3G, right? Yeah, it was 3G uh, coming into 4G. And loading a big PDF on 3G was, like, a 10-minute process sometimes. So you just didn't have the same level of accessibility. So making the choice to be as standard as possible was, like, really important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It is really weird looking back a decade and going, wow, we were kind of (laughs) like, if we saw what we could do now, we'd be like amazed. Yeah. Yeah. That's just a decade. But yeah, I think it's funny that um, Perfect Press presided both over the switch to cards to provide rules information and those going away. Yep. Well, yeah. And then that, that is the other thing is they kind of, once again, pioneered digital rules in a lot of respects right especially living rules mm-hmm. yeah because like for all of the things that mark three did very badly which there are many when it when it released there were there were problems um them pivoting and switching to digital rules that are living like it was an incredible innovation that often gets overshadowed by how terrible of a business decision it was at the moment um because was it released yeah, because it. Yeah, we're not we're not here to talk about business decisions and problems, but it it was an incredible innovation. Once again, the entire world got to play catch up as you know online free rules like that was kind of a thing that people had out there. But then updating them constantly, uh, a card database, War Room being the primary way to get cards, uh, or the or the card database, um, open licensing their rules enough that you could post things in like War Machine University, for example, and have a dedicated, really good wiki um, that the community would. Which was such a huge resource. Yeah. And I mean, Infinity also has or kind of was actually reliant on a wiki. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, having been somebody who spent much time in that wiki. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, that's theirs was set up very differently than like war machine university because it was mostly a rules reference not like a a model Mm -hmm. reference it was more of a like what do these specific rules mean um yeah and so yeah as they you know pivoted in and everybody sort of just had to go like well uh this is the future now i suppose how do we deal with this and they had to follow the lead in a lot of respects and, and this isn't to say that like nobody was doing innovations in the in the digital space in the miniature industry. There there definitely was some, but Private Press was kind of like the first major ish player to head in that direction, and it it was really interesting to watch over the next. I mean, couple- I'd argue the only reason they became a major player is because they kept doing all these things. Sure, yeah, but it was really interesting to watch like all of these other companies go scramble to like figure out what to do, and over the next couple of years as they're answers to you know war room card database um online rules that kind of stuff 
uh, appeared that, you know, some of it was really good. Some of it was really bad. Some people learned the long, wrong lessons. Some people uh, improved. And, but, you know, the ideas, a lot of them were, were generated by Privateer Press in the first place. Or at least that's the first time we saw them. Yeah, that's the first time we saw them. I mean, yeah, and again, they could have been Which is else. half the battle, right? Yeah, for sure. Getting them out there into the world is kind of a big deal. Um, I do also want to touch on one other thing that I think is worth mentioning. Um, and that's that they kind of... Privateer Press innovated a lot in the hobby side of things as well. That uh, I don't think they get a lot of credit for. So... If we look at, well, GW is the only other company that's done like real hobby content, right? Like Malifaux and Infinity kind of have, you know, things that they've done, but they're not on the same scale as like, this is a video on how to do this, or this is like how to paint this way. Um, do, you even, do you even know about Malifaux's terrain line? No, they have a terrain line. Oh, wait, hold on. I have a piece of their terrain line. Is it that like fake plastic core stuff? Like the clips, yeah. Yeah, I've got one of their walkways from something. I don't remember what. <laughs> anyway, Sorry, that's not, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about painting techniques. Oh, okay. so, oh I thought talking about the line of paint no, they produced. And that, but painting techniques. So, Private Press has also produced a really, really good line of paints that were very different than Games Workshop's paints. Um, and they went with the idea of, we are going to try to present more complicated concepts in learnable ways, right? GW's methods for a very long time were, and I'm, I never did this, so if I'm wrong, please correct me. It's base coat, wash, dry brush, highlight, basically, right? Uh, some variation on that a lot of the time. It's, yeah, it's generally, it's generally like, yeah, base coat, shade, highlight. Okay. That's um, dry brush, yeah. Yeah, okay. And and so the the part of that that's genius is that it gave their customer well and with their paint line is that they gave their customers like here's the paints to buy. Privateer Press tried a different approach which was we're going to talk about why colors go together and which ones are important for this scheme and you're going to learn how to do things like two brush blend which at the time was like the cutting edge of miniature painting techniques. Um so you're going to you're going to have to learn how to do this. And they developed like a studio presence and identity that was very unique. It, part of the reason that early War Machine models looks like did so well is because they had a studio that was set up that made them all look the same. Right. There's a there's a way to do it. When I took, went and took a lesson with Matt DiPietro, we vacillated back and forth pretty hard on whether we were going to work with one of the methods he wanted to teach or if he if we were going to do like here's how you paint in the private press studio way because they're their own thing and other than games workshop whose studio schemes are very very different um private press is the only like big company that had that sort of in-house like infinity always had angel Geraldes like working sorcery yeah. on their models <laughs> um, <laughs> Which is honestly a detriment because nobody yeah, can match say, that. It has it has some really fascinating pros and cons. Yeah. Know, <laughs> yep. Like it it sells models like crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But you know, and then Private Press comes along and they're like, "All right, you know what? We're gonna make our own paint line. It's a very, very, very good paint line. I I think it's better than most of the paint lines out there. Um, we're gonna decide that we're gonna 
commit to this like somewhat advanced painting style and technique, but we also believe that we can teach it to people. And we started to see like the, the, the fruits of that towards the like 2018 era style thing where we started to get like hobby content from Dallas Kemp and um, Brendan Roy that was just absolutely phenomenal talking about like, okay, so we're going to talk about saturation in this video. Here's why it's important. Here's how we use it. Here's this Cater Warjack. The reason it looks so red is because there are mm -hmm. 13 glazes of red ink over it, <laughs> right? Like stuff like that, that had been like started to be a thing on YouTube from mm -hmm. non studios, but wasn't really there yet. And they didn't write it out as far as I think they maybe should have because it, it was really good content a lot of it excellent tutorials um, but they you know were on the forefront of what I think has we're seeing now is like the the YouTube miniature revolution kind of in a lot of ways mm -hmm. so I think that's very much worth mentioning they also have um, if you can get their aluminum stuff the their answer to green stuff I actually think it's really excellent stuff like modeling putty um it's very different than green stuff and it's worth messing around with because it sands and cuts and files really really well because it's based off of aluminum so it gives mm. you like beautiful pristine sharp edges and stuff that you can't get out of most other things sorry Ho uh, hobby <laughs> it's, it's, yeah not being excited about stuff <laughs> but what if I just want to be excited about it? We don't. We don't play games to have fun. <laughs> not not what we're here for. Okay. Serious business. Let's talk about Steamroller. I think that's an important innovation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's got to be the the best thing that Perfect has ever done. Yeah. Good closing. Uh, good closing one. Yeah. So, is, is there any competition? I think War Room actually is maybe more important oh, okay. than steamroller personally i think worm is more important um now let's uh okay real quick i think war room if they wanted it to be could be way more than it is um it's built in a ridiculously complex engine right so it has the capability to do a ton of stuff correct no i'm pretty I mean, sure it one, is one would hope yes anyway that's that's why it's a battery hog but so like consider you open war room instead of the uh, load army or start game and settings buttons uh, th those are like on the side but the front page is like this is what's happening this week at privacy press it's just like and they can cycle that in and out so it's like here's my newsletter it's right in front of you with links to all the things that are going on so you can go like read an insider or buy a new model or do those kinds of things um, and then they could do things like here's a link inside the app like here's a you know a five ten megabyte update uh, that we just push through to everybody that is a like a PDF of a narrative scenario and also a link to the way to submit your results so that everybody can participate. Right. And I think that that would have been really cool. And I think that would be really cool. And I hope that we get to see that some sometime. And I think that when I say war room is the most important thing they've done, I'm talking about like in terms of 
the potential that it still has and also like how innovation like how innovative it was and how fast everybody had to scramble to catch up to it so that's why i think it's more important the steamroller personally but i'm happy to be convinced otherwise no that's a fair argument okay um but let's talk about steamroller yeah uh so what's up with good question it's actually worth noting that steamroller was started by fans right correct the the northeast meta okay uh, so Steamrollers, the tournament packet, and it's something that I think a lot of War Machine players take for granted in a lot of ways. Um, it It's the first of its kind to be like a produced, competitive play, balanced scenario set for a war game, right? And they allowed themselves to keep iterating on it and iterating on it and iterating on it and innovating with it for at least most of the time that I've been playing the game. Um, If you've only started playing War Machine in the last six years, you have no idea what the game used to be like. Um, Go back and look at like the 2013, 2012 steamroller scenarios. They're 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 flag went away. A flag. Yeah, you lose, went away. lose a flag or you lose the game in one turn because Kruger 2 would push you out of the zone and score all the points. Um, yeah, it was first to five, not... Yeah, it was a one by, one by five. So just imagine the wonderful control casters we have today, except all they have to do is score five at all. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And they were all better. And yes. they were all stronger. Like, yeah, pretty much across the board. Yeah. Yep. So... um this is like a huge deal in a lot of ways. Um, I have no idea what GW was doing at the time for, for like, they didn't. Scenarios. No, no. You, so you had the scenarios that were in the book. Okay. Um, and then the, the real rules were INAT. Um, it was produced by Adepticon essentially. Oh, good. And they came, they came out with a, a, a scenario packet for their tournament. And no one else used that. Okay, and then ITC eventually made something, right? Uh, that was after my time. Okay, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. And then GW, in the last like three, four years, two, three years, something like that, has taken over production of their own scenario packet. Um, but Sound familiar, <laughs> yeah. But Private Two Press did it first, um, yep. as far as we're aware. And it's really important because. In addition to having rules that came with the models and a standardized system for everything, um, by producing their own tournament packet, what that let you do is it let you go to anywhere in the world, sit down and play a game of War Machine against somebody, and everybody knew what was going on, which at the yep. time was insane. So, and and it's really hard well, to... And that, and that combined with the other strengths, right? It combined yeah, with... Yeah, I was going to say that, that was combined with their very, very tight way of writing rules. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, combined with the way rules were distributed. Uh, that's, I mean, really, maybe that's kind of what we say is sort of the culmination of what all this added up to was the fact that War Machine was so well standardized no matter where you went. Mm-hmm. Right? All of these things added up to make a game that just was exactly what it was pretty much wherever you were. There's, yeah. there's people who homeworld things occasionally. And some people, I think, consider it kind of a weakness in some respects and that it it's a little rigid sometimes. But at the end of the day, like it does its job very well of wherever you go, War Machine is pretty much played the same way and you'll be able to 
bust out your models the same way you did at home. Yep. And yeah, Steamroller was definitely definitely a big part of that. Well, and other companies have only been catching up to that in the last few years, really. Like, Infinity's got these interesting uh, scenario sets um, that get that get. Are they still stuff. similar to when we played? I don't know. I don't know anything about Mark Three Infinity. Okay. But Mark II Infinity scenarios were a thing. <laughs> they were, as Chandler would say, they were wild. Yeah, uh, you you just lose like half your models because they can't get out of the biotech form. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say, are, is your stuff not very fast? <laughs> well, yep. Slow and squishy. Well, uh, God save uh. you. <laughs> yeah. Um. Then you've got like Malifaux, which also had like. Actually, Malifaux did something very different, which is, you know, worth its own thing. And then Games Workshop in the last few years has been really basically taking Steamroller and putting their own twist on it in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, you set up some zones, you get some points for controlling some zones, you care about the things in the zones and a lot of the other um, ways to score. So that's that's been a thing. And then, uh, you know, so that's that's kind of like just an homage to how incredibly important that turned out to be. And other companies are starting to figure that out. Um, which isn't to say there aren't other innovations like Marvel crisis protocol is, is I think the next big thing in scenario sets, but you know, private uh, remarkably similar to Malifaux. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think those two are very much like just sort of carving the new trail uh, from here. But, you know, as far as like important milestones in the development of the miniature industry, I think Privateer Press just has to absolutely take humongous props for Steamroller and, and what it did as far as standardizing the game until some jerks yeah. came along and made a fan format. <laughs> How dare well, I? Well, I think Wargate was more influential than Brawl Machine. Oh, that's, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Did we miss anything? That's a lot of stuff. Like, look back at that. That's oh, a crazy sure amount of stuff. All kinds of things, but it, like they've they've got a long history. The game's been around a long time, and there's reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, the that's the thing is that they do an extremely good job of looking to the future and learning from mistakes. Like, they are an extremely iterative and because they're because they started small they change a lot of things mm-hmm. it's true yep yeah well long story short they've definitely done a lot of really good things for the industry overall that i think really pushed a lot of other companies to just do a lot better <laughs> and now just be better just be better stop being worse yeah <laughs> be better yeah pretty much uh yeah so with that, I think uh, I'm going to kind of close this one out. So I want to give a big thanks to pretty sports who supported us on Patreon. Like we said, they voted on this one, admittedly, with very short notice, but they did make <laughs> it happen because they're great. Um, if you want to check that out, it's at patreon.com slash LOS War Machine. It's our tip jar as well as giving you a cool name in our discord, uh, earlier access to podcasts and some other fun stuff. If you want to check out the different tiers on there, you can go check it out. And yeah, uh, you go to our website, which is LOSWarMachine.com. You find all the podcasts and stuff we mentioned at the start of the cast. And 
uh, you can find a link in our show notes to our Discord. We can go chat about games or whatever other nonsense you feel like. We got channels for everything. Channels for days. That's true. Yeah, there are many. Uh, a whole lot of people in there. Super active Discord. Really awesome. And uh, if you go to, to our Facebook, which is line of sight, give that a like. You'll be able to see all the stuff that we've got going on on there. And you can shoot us a message if you have any questions, comments, or whatever. <laughs> that's, uh, that's about it. Woo. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>